with me, 1 Corinthians 13. I think a lot of times when we read this text, we only hear it at weddings. And there's nothing wrong with that because agape love is fantastic for a marriage, sacrificial love, but that's actually not the context of 1 Corinthians 13. No, that's pulled out of its context. And sometimes when we do that, we don't ever talk about what its context meant. Who is it talking to in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, it's talking to the church. And so today, we're gonna examine how we can be more loving in our church to one another's with all the ultimate goal of reflecting the love of God between one another and out to the world around us. So let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us in our study. Lord, I uh, stand before you this morning just as a uh, humble man, untrained really as a pastor, but Lord, your word is what's speaking this morning. Uh, it's not me. As we go verse by verse, Lord, I pray you'd reveal uh, the truth from your word clearly, that I would say things that are from the text, not, not my opinions or my beliefs apart from your word, Lord, but that I would be rooted and grounded this morning in this text. Lord, I pray that today we would learn love and agape love as, as you intended it, in that you sent Jesus to die for us. And when we understand that, we adopt that pattern of love in our church, we then can go into the world and make disciples, showing them your love as well. So Lord, I pray for our study today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I wanna read verse by verse with you uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, so let's do that. Uh, if you need a Bible, right in front of you is a copy of the New King James, which I've been reading from, and it reads like this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. What a powerful chapter this is. Again, we've heard this so many times, but really I think you're gonna find some, hopefully a new takeaway this morning by really looking at the context here, not just hearing it read at a wedding. <clears throat> so before we go verse by verse, I wanna talk about what's happened in the book so far, Corinthians. This is written to a church located in a coastal city called Corinth, uh, which is in modern day Greece. Now, uh, around 80, AD 55 is when this was written. So we're talking about the first century, of course, and 
It was a sprawling city of wealth, of luxury, but also of immorality, pagan worship, and just uh, a prioritization—I can't talk—prioritization of sin. And so, when you think about a city like that, I'm thinking of a modern city like Las Vegas. But really, anymore, you don't have to look even at Las Vegas to see American cities that prioritize living a life of sin and wealth and luxury as as if they're more important than anything else. And so what a difficult thing it would be as a church to be amongst that specifically evil society. And sadly, much of the church at Corinth was a mess. And no doubt it's because of a lot of being surrounded by those wicked influences. And so 1 Corinthians is one of Paul's corrective letters. He's writing, addressing their problems. And and while he is being very direct throughout these things, he's doing so not to shame them, he says in uh, chapter 4, verse 14, but to instruct them, show them how to serve the Lord properly and imitate him. And in so doing, he is showing love. You know, there's this phrase, tough love. I'm sure you've heard that before with your children and things. You've had to show tough love. But I really want you to, I really want to encourage you not to think of that as tough. That's just love. When you correct someone who is under you, uh, your child or in your life, you are showing love. Obviously, you must do so with tact and grace, but it's not tough love to point someone away from sin or away from something that will harm them. That's just love. And so again, Paul is not meaning to shame them into seclusion, but much of this whole book is just mention after mention of their problems and how they are Uh, not a good thing. For example, there is division in the the church amongst who to follow. I'm following Paul. No, I'm following Cephas. Well, I'm following Christ. And these divisions, just such a dishonor to the Lord who clearly is the one we should put our following behind. So they were divided amongst who to follow. There was sexual immorality in chapter five and six. There were actually incestual relationships in the church. There were legal issues that they were suing one another instead of solving their problems within the church. Chapter 6, chapter 11, they were misusing the Lord's Supper, which is a holy and reverent service in which we focus on the Lord and his body and blood, and they were making it a common meal. What a reproach that was. And then they were misunderstanding and misapplying and playing favorites with spiritual gifts. And finally, they were actually teaching falsely about the resurrection, saying that there will be no bodily resurrection, many of them said. And Paul goes on to say, if you say there's no resurrection of the body, what you're saying is Christ wasn't raised. And if Christ wasn't raised, then everything we believe is in vain. So he was using that rhetoric to show them, of course Christ is raised, and of course we are risen. One day God will uh, orchestrate a miraculous bodily resurrection where the dead in Christ will rise first. But anyway, there was so much disunity in this church. And I think that's helpful as we come to this chapter because he's going to go through what they are missing. Before I get to that, though, I think we need to talk about our church, FSB Camden. I think things are pretty good here. I've served in several churches in my young life, and I can attest our unity, our spirit of unity, and the bond of peace amongst this church is great. But as Brother Greg said earlier, that's when the devil tries to sneak in. And don't ever think that our church is immune to the things that we read here. Don't ever think that we couldn't slip right into following after a false doctrine or embracing sin or going against something that the Bible clearly specifies. 
I could go on and on about churches that are doing that. We must resist. If we say, if, or if we read James 4, 7, it says, resist the devil, he will flee. That applies to the church too. Resist, resist. But that, that resisting part, that's what the Corinthian church wasn't doing a great job of doing. So he mentions all these problems. Then he goes into verse chapter 12, and I promise we're almost to 13. Uh, and he talks about spiritual gifts and some of these gifts, prophecies and tongues, we'll talk about in just a second as they mostly aren't in the church nowadays. But his point in mentioning the spiritual gifts is that we all have gifts. And if you have problems within your church, then likely you're going to misunderstand what our gifts are all about. Our gifts are meant to work together, not against one another. They're meant to move the mission of making disciples forward. For example, uh, I'm not a baker, cook, but wow, I really meant it. At, at Doug Mabry's funeral, that meal was amazing. And, and I, I had a couple other meals here at funerals, but to think that that team does that uh, on a monthly basis, sometimes multiple times a month, sometimes multiple times a week, it's just amazing to think of those gifted people and how they are serving others. They're serving others with their gifts. I'm not neat and tidy, but Jay is. He's organized, and his dad was, and uh, he keeps things really neat around here. I'm thankful for that. I'm not great at planning little details. I've got a lot of energy and excitement, but the little stuff I'm not great at. But God has sent a team of workers for Hope for Kids. Amanda, uh, for example, Myers, she has gone into the Google Drive and organized everything by day and week so that it's very clear for us. And so what I'm trying to get at here is that it takes a team of believers with unity understanding everybody's gifts are different and we come together as one. But once again, Corinthian church was missing that. They were, like, they were like a cake that you bake, but you miss a huge ingredient. Have you ever baked something and forgot something really important? I mean, let's imagine that you make uh, a flat of brownies but forgot the sugar <laughs> or the eggs in a cake. I think you're gonna realize there's a missing ingredient. And so that is what I want to focus on today, the missing or the essential ingredient. Chapter 13, the corrective fix for all the vision occurring within the Corinthian church. And yep, you guessed it, it's love, it's love. And through this chapter, I hope we can see four distinct ways that love can achieve unity in our church, bring glory to God, and move our mission of creating disciples for the kingdom forward. And I've taken a couple preaching classes, uh, and one of the things they said was alliteration helps. So these four points start with P, and I think that they will really show us how important love is. First, we see the priority of love in the first three verses, one, two, and three. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if I have not love, I am like sounding brass or clanging cymbals. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And now I have faith that could move mountains. But if I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow, my, bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Now you see there, tongues and prophecy. Um, in the first century, these gifts were uh, very prevalent. Why? Well, because the assembled New Testament was not yet uh, completed and passed around. And so there were specific sign gifts that the church members had that proved the veracity of their claims that Jesus was the true son of God. 
If you could speak in a miraculous tongue, it was pretty clear that your religion following Jesus was true. But nowadays, with the New Testament, most Southern Baptists and, and evangelicals believe in the concept of cessationism, which is that most of these sign gifts are now gone. Now, I will not say that it's impossible for God. Of course, he can work a miracle and cause someone to have a spiritual gift of this nature still, but mostly we don't, we don't see that occurring anymore. But the point isn't what the gift is. The point is that even the most miraculous gift, folks, if it's done without love, it means nothing. You could be a prophet of, uh, that the church has never seen yet, but if you don't have love, who cares? You're like a, a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You know, as a music teacher, I see a lot of instruments played poorly. That's part of the job, right, Deb? We, we, we we're okay with that. But it is interesting that if you pick up a trumpet and have no idea what you're doing and you blast into the trumpet, Caleb's nodding his head. It's not a good sound, okay? Uh, or if you pick up a cymbal and you just whack the thing without any taste or, you know, finesse, it's going to sound terrible. And that's what Paul says that our best gifts are if we have no love. If you're selfishly doing something, he says if you have faith to move mountains, but no love, it's nothing. He says, if you give all your goods to the poor, good for you. But if you're selfish about it and doing it to be seen, it's nothing. If you give your body to be burned, sacrifice, but you're selfish about it, no love, it means nothing. This is just, again, love is a priority. It is so important that it is in everything we do. It channels into us from God and flows in every facet of our church. From every, that's why I mentioned all those spiritual gifts. Don't think that God is not using you as a channel for his love. You must be willing to answer his call and serve, but he will use each and every one of you as a vessel for love. But it must be present, folks. It must be a priority. Sharing the gospel, if you think about this, it's pretty much impossible if we are not prioritizing love. Why? Well, because of what we, we read about the, the noise, the world around us, if they see no love in our message, they're going to just think, well, pff, that's just a random noise. I don't want any, anything to do with that. I'm not saying we compromise on the gospel or sin. No, no, no. We, we obviously preach the truth, but we, again, we do it with love. We do it with love. So to be an effective witness for Christ, you must have love. And you, needless to say, you can't look out for the needs of your brothers and sisters here if you don't love them. Brother Greg made a great point earlier. There's all sorts of actions we can do, but how about we start with just saying, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. We're so afraid of that word because we think of it's just the eros. It's just love to uh, my spouse that I say the word love. No, agape is to be stated to anyone in your life that you are sacrificially connected to, and certainly that is your church member. So prioritize love within your life, your gifts, and within our church. Next, we must adopt a pattern of love. Look at verses four through seven. It's no mistake that in these verses, it's coming as a result of Paul addressing what the Corinthians are displaying love is not through their problems. They're envious, they're boastful, they're arrogant, they're irritable, they're resentful, they rejoice in sin. And so now he shows us in these verses what love is is and is not. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. 
Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Boy, these descriptions of true agape love, I could preach a whole sermon on each of those. I mean, you look at verse four, love is long-suffering and kind. Well, there's a sermon, you know? Love doesn't envy, love does not parade itself, is not arrogant, there's a sermon. And so instead of doing that, what I want you to focus on is, is allow your mind to be flooded with names of brothers and sisters who have met that criteria. If that's hard to do, then we, we got a lot of work to do as a church. But probably knowing how, praise the Lord, how strong uh, Lord William continues that way this church has been, I bet you you can think of many people in this church who are patient and kind and don't behave rudely. They don't seek their own. You know, when I was growing up, family members within our church, I could think of exact names as I read that. They invited us over to their house all the time. My dad was the preacher, and they would give us a home-cooked meal just sometimes randomly on a Sunday afternoon. And it was a, a great gesture of true love. And isn't that true love attractive? I'm not talking physically. I'm talking about literally you're drawn to a loving person. If someone makes you feel like you need to take a bath after talking to them, you know, we've all seen those types of people. Love is not present within them, and it is not attractive. But when we think of these attributes, verses four through seven, and we think of how attractive that is, boy, that's true agape love. And when we experience it, it fosters a unity and a peace that only God can give. And it brings him glory, and it encourages us to spread the gospel as one. You know, people joke that duct tape is the universal fix. I mean, how many of you have heard this, right? Um, I, I have a little, uh, Sarah jokes me for this, but I have this little everyday carry pack, and inside is some duct tape. Why? Because duct tape fixes almost everything, a leak, uh, a hole in something, a rip in clothes. Well, that's what love is for every relational issue. Look at verse seven. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So if you're missing the attributes we just read in verses four through seven, then I would seriously examine the love, the pattern of love in your life. And I think you'll find there's probably not a huge pattern of love. Now, we all have room to grow. I'm not, a perfect, I'm not perfect in this resolve by any means. But knowing I need to do better with my pattern of love is the first step to being able to have these attributes flow from me and that others can see in me, I need to have a pattern of love. So I pray you will strive for that in your life. Our next point is that we, we realize the permanence of love. Point three, we realize the permanence of love. These uh, next three verses are often uh, some of the most misunderstood or kind of confusing within the context, but I pray that as we go through them, they'll be made clear. First, it starts off in verse eight, it says, love never fails. What a statement right there, amen? Love never fails. I could just say that statement. We could all go home. Love never fails. God's love never fails, never fails us. It's a promise the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. How many things in life have ever let you down? What about your car, your technology? Look, I drive a Toyota, and I use Apple products, and I love both. They're pretty reliable, but they fail sometimes, don't they? You might have something that you find super reliable, but eventually it will fail. Why? Because things of this earth 
fail. That's what we do, and that's what these verses are talking about, that everything in earth will fail. Oh, this is a big one too. What about people, relationships? They fail us all the time, don't we? It seems like just about every time we need something to not fail, that's what it does. Probably a test from the Lord that we would keep our faith despite so much things failing around us. But what a promise it is that love will not be one of those things. You don't have to ever worry about love letting you down. If you make it a part of your daily life, it's not going to fail you. It's never going to be, in other words, it's not going to make you your day worse if you are more loving. If someone cuts you off in traffic, I, I can guarantee you being loving and then just ignoring it and moving on is going to benefit you more than doing something sinful, right? And we all know this. I know practicing it is easier than, or pre, you know, preaching it is easier than practicing it. But truly, love never fails. What a promise. Now, what does fail is the things of this earth, and that's what the next several verses talk about. Even the best things will cease. It's all gonna pass away. And, and our conscious thought here on earth at best will only be a partial knowing. Only in heaven, when the perfect comes, and Jesus, you know, taking us home to heaven, that's what that's talking about in verse 10. Only when the perfect comes, then the part will be done away. And that's why we need to not obsess over things of this earth, folks. Love will remain. That's what is important. That's why we must ensure it is in our church. Church is not a competition of gifts. It's not about that. We're focusing on earthly things if we care about who's our favorite greeter or who's the best cook or who's preaching on Sunday or who's sitting near me or what musicians are on stage or what songs are we singing. Those are carnally minded earthly things that are done without love. These things will pass away, but what remains is our love for God and his love for us and our love for one another. If we do things without love in the church, it just underscores our lack of maturity. And that's what he means when he says in verse 11 that you're immature if you don't understand love is the most important gift. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, see, I put away childish things. So if you're thinking about this earth, your schedules, your fame, your wealth, your status, your job, and that's what matters most to you, sorry to tell you, you're like a little kid. You're like a little kid that hasn't grown up because you're prioritizing things that will be gone someday. It'll all be gone. What will remain? What connects and bridges this life to the next? It's love that never fails. So grow up, right? I mean, with all due respect, me too. Grow up and love. When I've seen kids in school that are, I don't know what to say other than I'm worried for them someday. Sometimes it's from a genuinely concerned heart and sometimes it's just almost humorous. Oh, Billy, someday, oh boy. Um, but a lot of times when I see them like in high school, I'm like, wow, they've really grown up. They've really grown up. And in the Lord, when we apply love, that's a natural process. When we take the Lord's love and we accept that free gift, and of a contrite heart, we willingly love, or we, we show gracious love to others. It's a natural thing, but we must pursue it. We must not be childish. And in verse 12, on this same point, Paul goes one step further to make sure the Corinthians have the proper perspective. He says that life on earth is like looking in a mirror dimly. But then, in other words, when we go to heaven, it'll be like a face-to-face 
You see, in heaven where love is made complete, we'll realize that everything on earth was just a reflection, a mere glimpse. You know, I, we were talking in Sunday school about this. A great long life, what is it, 80, 90, 100 years? But in the scope of eternity, folks, that's a blip. It's short. This life here is not our home. We are sojourners and pilgrims here. What is permanent? What will be the true face-to-face, as Paul says in 12? That's heaven. We'll look Jesus in face-to-face, one another face-to-face, and it will be so real and so much better than everything we knew here on earth that it, it can only be best described as if we looked in a dim mirror. All these memories here of earth, it's like a dim mirror. That's how important love, which connects this life to the next, is. Now we know in part, but then in heaven we will know fully. He knows that they have denied the bodily resurrection. The bodily resurrection is one of the greatest promises because one day our bodies, which will go to dust, will be miraculously raised, united with our spirit into a glorified, perfected body in which we have the full knowledge of what is meant for us in heaven. To fully understand that, I really couldn't right now. But just, I know that promise and I believe it. We will know fully just as God knows us now. That is the power of this life afterwards and that is the power of love, the love of God which takes us there. So while we live on this sin-cursed earth, remember that your flesh will limit your knowledge. You can never achieve a permanent understanding of what life is about other than knowing that God has it all figured out. You submit to his sovereignty and his will and one day he will glorify your body to know. But right now on this sin-cursed earth, we can't. If we put our hope and affections in things, anything other than the love of God, we're gonna be disappointed and we're going to realize how it was not worth it. A love that will never fail is permanent. Love that comes from God is permanent. Our final point is that we must acknowledge the preeminence of love. So preeminence is similar to priority, but I think that the word preeminent ascribes a value a superiority of this attribute. It says, and now abide, or it lasts forever, faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Faith is a beautiful attribute of God that he's given us the uh, ability through his sovereign grace to come to him. That is faith, that is true belief, it's wonderful. And hope is the result of that faith that we have a hope of eternal life, but it's clear here that those aren't as great even as love. And why love? What makes it so special more than faith, more than hope, more than anything? Well, it's the story of the gospel, folks. I'm just gonna read my note clearly. It was love that came born of a virgin. It was love that lived a sinless life. It was love that was crucified unjustly. It was love that paid for our sins Through his crucifixion, it was love that rose again, and it's love offering all those who believe eternal life. And it's love of the spirit living inside us that spreads the gospel, giving this message of hope to all who might believe. So who is love? It's Jesus. That's why it's most important. It is God. God is love. It's greatest because that's who God is. Before the foundation of the world, he had this plan of love. It's an eternal attribute. It's preeminent. All the sin and division and sorrow and lostness without love 
reigns freely, but with love. All of that is put behind us, and we are receiving the, the hope and the eternal peace. That's the power of Jesus, love. So it is supremely first in importance. Let's make it that way in our relationships, in our attitudes, in our heart. This was written to the church, and it's fine to read at weddings, amen, because this is what I, you know, and my spouse, I've found that she's patient and she is kind to me. She doesn't get puffed up. I can't say I, I'm as perfect. <laughs> I know she says she's not perfect, but, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord that he provided me a spouse, but, and, and this passage is great for comparing that, but this is for us as a church. That's truly what this is for. And so I pray that you would ask yourself today, how can you be more loving to your church brothers and sisters? Tell them you love them, like we said. That's simple. Write them a, write them a card, write them a letter, give them a phone call. I love you and I'm encouraged by you. That would go a long way. But what if we kicked it up a notch and we served? There's some statistic out there, I'm probably gonna botch it, but I think it goes like this. 10% of the church members do 80% of the work. It's an analysis that they've done over the years. And, um, and that's, that's true. I'm not saying that to shame any of you, but I am saying that I think we can probably look at ourselves and see what more can we do to serve. Again, it goes back to our gifts. Not all of us are gonna be called to serve in the, in the nursery ministry, but I'm telling you folks, there's a huge need right now and there shouldn't be. There should not be a need in a church this size to serve in the nursery. Amber does a great job with that. But what are we doing if we as a church this size don't step up and serve our vulnerable populations? We can serve more. We could be more hospitable. We could, we could invite people over to our homes for a meal, ask them out to dinner, get to know people, right? How are you gonna love them if you don't know anything about them? I think COVID probably has got us all afraid to have people back in our homes. It feels that way. But this is how the first century church operated. They, they were all in each other's homes, breaking bread and sharing meals together. Why? Because that fellowship, that love between brothers and sisters, it cannot be something we ignore. So there's many ways you can express your love today, and I'm not trying to uh, get specific to each person. You, you have to know that with how you pray to the Lord and how he talks to you and speaks to you, how you can express your love. But I can tell you this, we all need to do better, myself included. I need to be more loving to you and you to each other. It never should cease. By way of invitation, um, maybe you're here today and you're lacking the most fundamental important understanding of love. And that's that this, you gotta listen because this is super important. Kids, older kids that are with us, God loves you and he loved you first, right? That's super important that we understand that, that God loved us when did he love you? He loved you even when you were still a sinner. He sent Christ to die for you. What a humbling example of that, of love, right? That I didn't, while I was still serving my flesh, Christ loved me enough to die in my place. If you're here today and you didn't know that, I hope you do now. He loves you as you are. Now, his spirit will not leave you as you are, and when you give your heart to him, praise the Lord that he will transform you into the image of his son, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And one more time for those of you here today who are, are currently lost in your sins and wandering around and don't know about God's love, here's the gospel message. Before the world began, God's love existed with him. 
He is I am. He is love. He had a plan to save us from our sins, and it involved this. His son would come to this world, taken on flesh, live a sinless life, one that we could never even dream to live because of our sin, yet he was nailed to the cross and died as punishment for the sins of us. He willingly did that. And that message through Paul to the Corinthians and now to us is that we can join in the promise of heaven, folks, by accepting God's gracious gift of love. It's not something that is hard to understand. It is a simple message that God loves you and wants that relationship with you so that you can enjoy the, the permanence of heaven that he has set out for us. Another important thing in this gospel message is that the world around you and Satan wants you to believe you are just fine as you are, that you are going to go to heaven because you're a good person. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are naturally unloving and sinful and selfish. There is no one good. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that there is a penalty for that sin called death. And all unbelievers will be cast into hell as a punishment for refusing him. Read the book of Romans and you will clearly see those things. But that aspect, God's wrath, don't you dare think for one second that that contradicts what we've talked about today. Because yes, while his vengeance will be poured out on those who have refused him and served the devil, he's offering you a way out. He's offering you a loving chance to escape that punishment. And so that makes God supremely loving if he just sent everybody there, which he wouldn't do because he's God, then maybe that argument would have some, something to think about. But the fact that he has offered us Jesus, his own only begotten son, shows his love is preeminent. And so maybe you're here today and that's what you need to do. You need to just say, Lord, I don't know everything yet, but I know enough that you love me and I'm ready to be changed. You can come as we have our invitation. Or maybe you're here today and you say, I know I'm saved, but man, I feel the spirit convicting me today. I have not been applying love as I should be. I've been only thinking of love as a Valentine's thing between me and my spouse. I haven't told a brother or sister near me that I love them and I don't know how long. Well, you can make that change today. Pray to the Lord quietly in your pew or even come forward. Come forward, surrender your heart, kneel down. Don't worry about what other people think. It's between you and God. Love needs to be something that we all pursue. By now, we've all been following the Asbury Revival as Brother Greg went through earlier. And <laughs> interestingly enough, um, I had prepared, not just this past week, but I had been thinking about what I was gonna preach for quite some time. And I didn't know that the sermon that started the revival, the pastor had preached on love, interestingly enough. I found a YouTube clip where the, the uh, pastor's sermon was there and he, he went a little bit different, not from 1 Corinthians 13, but his chief point was that uh, before we can love others, we must first bow in the presence of the love that God showed for us. So I hope that that has resonated through this sermon as well. But I don't believe in chance or coincidence. No, that, that's, not, that's not something that exists between a sovereign God and his bride, the church. I think that this topic was put on my heart so that we could see that the spirit of God 
moves throughout everyone, everywhere, wanting us to see how he is so worthy of our praise. From the smallest town in Camden in Kentucky to the biggest cities in the world, he and his love are worthy of our praise and worship. So maybe Camden, Ohio can be the next site of a great revival and awakening. I mean, I think it would be pretty amazing if people were driving by at a time we're normally not here and they see a bunch of cars and think, what's going on there, right? Why not now? Why not us? The love of God is so true and so real. He is deserving of our praise. So Brother Greg's gonna come and uh, assist with this invitation and we just wanna open up the altar. And maybe, Deb, could you just play for a little while? And I'm gonna kneel down up front and if you feel led to do that too, you, you can. I mean, you don't have to pray about this specific topic, but maybe you could pray and ask the Lord for more revival. Or maybe you have a special need in your life that you need the Lord's prayer. But truly, the amazing thing about love is I think it kind of encompasses everything. God's love for us is so good that really when we seek him, that's what we're seeking, aren't we? We're seeking his ever-present love. And so as we have the invitation, Deb prays, let's all stand. And, um, and then we, I'm gonna pray here first and then invite you to come. Dear Lord, as we have a moment here just listening to the music and feeling your spirit stir, Lord, I pray you wouldn't hold us back from full surrender, that you wouldn't cause us to have any fear of what people think, Lord, but that you just allow your spirit to cause us to realize what you've done for us, Lord. And that's that you've shown us love like, like the world has never seen other than in the gift of Jesus who died in our place. And Lord, I pray that I would be a better loving member of this church to these brothers and sisters. And I pray each person here would seek ways that they can love better as well. Lord, maybe you, well, obviously, Lord, you do know what is on the hearts and minds of everyone here. Maybe there's someone that has never accepted the gift of salvation. Today, this morning, is that moment for them. I, I know, Lord, I can feel the Spirit telling me someone out here right now has never given their heart to you. Lord, may it be tonight, or this morning, may it be right now that they do that. And if anybody else has anything on their heart, Lord, you know, allow them to lay it down, lay their burdens at the cross, where your love is clearly evident. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Greg. Just as I am without one plea, but that Oh, 
time, just play that music while we all bow. If you're feeling the Lord leading you, I invite you, come now. Let's pray. Sing that first verse again. Sing that. Just as I some hearts. And Lord, we recognize that revival will never happen if it doesn't happen in us first. So Lord, we're asking you, we're, we're, we're pleading with you to not take your hand off first Camden. Continue to draw, continue to convict Thank you for the word of God that's been proclaimed this morning. From the child to the senior adult, Lord Jesus, you still save. And I pray that we would uh, usher and, and welcome you to move in our hearts. Help us to not be afraid of it. Help us not be afraid of revival. God, help us to long for it. Begin a new work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We praise the Lord for you. And I want to encourage you. Listen to me carefully as God still deals with some folks. Listen to me carefully. We meet on Wednesday nights at a quarter till six to pray. Right in here. There's been a healthy ten or eight for, for over a year or so. Join us on Wednesday nights. Bring your kids to Hope for Kids and your youth or the youth group upstairs and you join us in here to pray before we have Bible study. And let's see what God will do when we really pray. Some of you come in on Wednesday night and are as loud as you can be acting like it's just another thing. No, we're praying for revival. And until we get serious, God's not gonna get be serious. I don't know about you, don't you want to see, don't you want to see some move of God in your life and in our church that's unexplainable? I mean, if we don't believe the Holy Spirit's supernatural, we don't have anything to believe in. But God can do more in a second than we can do in a lifetime, and let's just pray for it. Let's just pray for it, for a revival in kids' ministry, a revival in the student ministry, a revival amongst our senior adults. Let me tell you something, folks. The closer I am to you, the more I love seniors. 
and God is not finished with you. He's got great plans. I praise the Lord for you. Um, most of you know, I, I was in Jacksonville with David Burton Ministries. David was the tall, lanky evangelist from Florida that was with us a while back, brought all the resources to train, uh, does a great job. I'm on his board of directors. Here's what he told me, and it really resonated with me. He said, Greg, I go into so many churches and have the pastors come to the front and give an invitation, and the, and the pastor bows his head as if he is not longing for somebody to come forward. He said, you stand there and you call people, and you expect God to move. Amen? You expect God to move. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, you come right here, right now. Anybody need it? Everybody good? You come right now. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Let me have the deacons come. Anybody else? just told me that today is Anita Sackenheim's birthday, I can assure you that there is a disappointed believer in Jesus Christ who continues to fight health. Let's lift her up. Let's lift Brother John Keener up. Shauna. And I, I, I thank you all for coming forward here this morning. Amen. All right, if you'll pray with me, I want you to stretch your hand toward us right here. And here's what you're saying. You're, I'm praying for these at the front. So, Lord, everybody that's come forward here this morning, they've recognized and they, they're admitting, Lord, we need help. Whether it's spiritual, physical, emotional, maybe it's our family, maybe it's our finances. Lord, you, you're, you're the answer. So I pray for a peace that only you can give, a strength that, don't, that you can only give. And in the midst of all of that, uh, Lord, uh, let there be love as Cody has preached. And I pray for everyone that's standing here, and maybe even some that didn't come forward, that you would hold them up and carry them wherever they're at in life, whatever, whatever valley they're crossing, that, Lord, you would carry us for your glory, and when we come out on the other side, we will praise you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. If you'll agree with me, say amen. 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 Thank you. Now, now let's sing. Um, Let's sing something that, uh, Victory in Jesus. You okay with that one? All right. What, you, you have a page on that? We're going to close. This is going to be our benediction. Okay? Amen. I heard an old, old story. 426, you don't need the words. We're going to sing the first verse. Mark, Mark, run up, Mark, run up here and get us some rhythm to that. Okay? Jason, come on. Come on. You ready? 
Amen. Let, let's, uh, let's sing our way out. Thank you for your faithful giving. You can give at the wall boxes on the way or online. Thank you for being faithful. But we're going to sing, I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. Deb, just give us a new chord. You ready? I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. Sing it out. Have a great day in the Lord, and thank you for being here to worship.